the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Welcome in, Rob Black. Talking money, investing, retirement, and much, much more. I am surprised at how fast the years moved by. I think I say that every year. But the third quarter is in the books. Taking a look at the end of the third quarter, it's been a very bumpy ride for investors. After a two-month, a 17% rally in the S&P 500, the index headed down slope, wiping out its June lows. And instead of a bear market down 20%, turning into a bull market up 20% from its bottoms, it just stayed in a bear market and went back down and took out the lows. I'm pretty okay with that because historically, that's what happens. More often than not, a bear market is not a a friendly, oh, it's over. And like you're you're an hour 10 into a horror movie and you know there's 20 minutes left and the bad guy has been killed. You're like, it's over. We got 20 minutes of like kissing and, and loving on each other. No, 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 no. Bear markets rarely end at the one hour, 10 minute event in a movie. It's been a tough, tough, tough time to find winners. Consumer discretionary and energy shares rose during the quarter, but both plummeted from recent highs. Only one-third of the S&P 500 individual companies are set to finish the quarter in the green. That means the breath is pretty bad. Two-thirds of stocks are down. The quarter taught tough, tough lessons for beginner investors amateur investors, and even seasoned investors. You can't predict the future. Talking to professionals about the third quarter takeaways and getting some nuggets here and there is kind of my job. Stay nimble. Don't try to call the bottom. Get ready for a doozy of an earnings season. So third quarter means September's over. And in October, we find out what happened in the third quarter. Um, do you want to be a hero and say, you know, hey, I'm pretty sure this is the bottom? Or do you want to be a hero and go, I'm going to wait till it goes back up 20% and leave a lot on the table? I don't know. But you have to decide what's appropriate for you. <clears throat> the moves have been violent. What we discussed in June at the end of the second quarter, we're discussing in August. You're not going to call a bottom in your lifetime. Or as someone once told me, I called three bottoms. I got one of them right. I I don't think that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Um, It's funny to say out loud. But it is okay. It's not too far from the truth. Many strategists have scrambled to cut their year-end forecast in the light of the worsening fundamentals. 
Goldman Sachs cut their year in target on the SP 500 to 3,600 from 4,300. It's tough to predict what's going to happen in the final 90 days of the year. There's no way that you're going to feel a bottom is in. I don't think so until we see the VIX go up to a reading of 40. And that basically means the average investor has to get crushed out. I think we are, we're seeing a little bit of a sign of the average investors crushed out. Kim Kardashian got fined a million dollars by the SEC for her BS that she spit out on Instagram about cryptocurrencies. That's kind of a good sign. You're looking for things like that. But again, I, I need the market to really have a day where we turn off the television at we turn off CNBC, we turn off Bloomberg, we don't listen to a Rob Black podcast for a week. We need something like that to really clean the system to like go, I hate stocks. I mean, I really, really hate stocks. I'd punch a stock in the face if it came over. The Fed has clarified its intentions to keep raising rates. Give the next policies meeting isn't until November 2, so about a month from now. Pros have their sights firmly fixed on earnings. Because that's what happens in the month of October. We reflect on the last 90 days and we get a report card. The fact of the reality is that um, third quarter, we're going to see about 3.2% earnings growth. That's the lowest growth rate since third quarter of 2020. As of last Friday, 64 S&P 500 companies had issued negative earnings guidance for the third quarter, while just 41 issued positive. Keep in mind, we have a pretty healthy job market on one hand. We have an unhealthy job market on the same hand. And what I mean by that is we have a lot of job openings. And there's a feeling on Wall Street that employers are holding on to employees because they need the warm bodies. They're trying to, in Meta and Google's case, they're saying, look, we may have to fire you because your job is not making us that much money. But there's other jobs in the company that we want you at. So on one hand, there's people in the job getting paid. But on the other, there's more important job openings in the economy that we want filled. Um, and for every job opening for versus every unemployed, it's two to one. It's a very high number. It's a problem that says we have a worker shortage in America. It's another reason why we should be talking immigration policies and not be afraid of letting people into our country because we can have a more robust economy if we filled those jobs. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be careful what I say here. But every now and then you'll hear governments talk about how many visas they let in from foreign countries to come into the United States and work or go to colleges. Uh, those are typically high-paying jobs. So strategists are on the lookout this week for the start of earnings season, pretty much so next week. And we have a little bit of an economic calendar to work with this week. Personal income, which is month over month. That's today. Personal spending, real personal spending. We get the PCE deflator as well and today we get earnings out of carnival now i often joke about 
my desire or my hatred, my lack of desire for cruises. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're big boats and they don't really encourage you to be part of the local vacation experience. Uh, you're just stuck with a lot of Americans on a boat going from port to port. You get off of the port and you do something fun like hit a restaurant or do something fun like go on a bicycle ride. I'd rather be immersed in a culture, but that's me. I'm talking too much about it and I'm making the show all about me, 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 me. But Carl is going to give us a good idea on life after COVID. Where are we sitting? Um, now that cruises say you don't have to be vaccinated, they're taking reservations from anyone who wants to get on board. All aboard. It's going to be an interesting week. Um, third quarter was rough. Third quarter was a, t- a doozy. Um, there was no respite in any way, shape, or form. And I'm okay. It's it's definitively not ideal. But we've seen some really good companies get hit pretty hard. And I would say one of the more important ones that we saw get ha- hit hard in the third quarter was Apple. Um, as of one week ago today, Apple was still up in 12, on a 12-month basis in a bear market. That's unacceptable. My biggest position is in shares of Apple, and I'm pulling for it to pull back. But I'm also pulling for the company to use some of their cash to buy back their shares at lower levels. So one week ago, Apple was still up for the year, and Tesla as well. Uh, Tesla reported uh, deliveries on, over the weekend, and they had the AI day, which... It did feature a pretty cool robot. Um, you can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I do have an event coming up in November. Excited to get out there post-COVID and talk. More on that. Sign up at robblackshow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. One of the more dramatic things we saw as the third quarter closed out were for a lot of analysts to come out and say it's going to get worse. Where were they at the start of the year? It's a big question. It's a fair question. But one of them is uh, CNBC had a big conference last week. And when you have a big conference, you get big names. And you get big names, you expect them to say things are going to get better, things are going to get worse, right? So one of the analysts had a, a very negative outlook on the next 10 years. And I, I think you have to take the good and the bad here. Keep in mind that in the last 15 years, we've had incredibly low interest rates. And I've said numerous times on this air that some of the things that have made money are things you may not think about. You can go, well, Rob, you, you certainly picked a nice time to go long on Apple and Microsoft and you, you got video games theme investing, right? You've made money in names like NVIDIA. Um, I've done pretty well, but I'm also going to be honest. That's just part of the game. The low interest rate environment has helped a lot of people make money in real estate and in stocks. Now that we're no longer in a, ridiculously low interest rate environment 
we're in a much more normalized. And it's funny because when I come on air and I talk about six and a half percent mortgages, people are like that's a bit, that's I can't buy a house at that number. And you turn open up USA Today, you turn on CNBC, you listen to a little Bloomberg podcast, and you hear people are canceling orders on homes at a record pace. Like I want to buy that house, and then they're like, oh, I changed my mind. I don't want to buy that house. It's become way too expensive recently. So as people pulled out. We're looking at the interest rate and saying, ah, that's the culprit. But 6.5% isn't historically high. My first mortgages were in the 10 to 12% categories. And I say first mortgages because I had to get two. I didn't have enough for a down payment. So I got what's called a second mortgage, which was a down payment on the first mortgage. I took out a loan to take out a loan. How ridiculous does that even sound, right? Um. I'm not that worried about the housing market at this point in time. I think housing is very susceptible to a 20% correction across the board in the United States, more in some areas that have been speculative and frothy. And that sounds incredibly painful, and it will be for some. But I believe that many Americans took out record low mortgage rates, refinanced at record low mortgage rates, and their balance sheet is in a much better condition than if you're taking out a mortgage now, that higher interest rate is a killer. And if you're asking me, would I rather own a home at a record low mortgage rate or would I rather own at a 20% correction in price? I'll take either. But if I'm going to be buying at a record price, I want a record low mortgage rate. And I want it locked in for 30 years in good economy and bad economy. So a lot of talking heads are making noise out there right now. Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel says predictions of a lost decade in the stock market are unfounded and 6% annual returns are likely after inflation. Um, that sounds a lot better than Dr. Doom. Again, it, companies are going to borrow money at record low rates. It's way easier to make money on that debt at record low rates than it is at a 6.5% rate or a 10% rate. And Jeremy Siegel said 6% annual returns after inflation. So he's factoring in inflation, which is nice. But last week, we got Stanley Drunkenmiller and Ray Dalio talking about a lost decade where things will be virtually flat, similar to the 1970s. And Siegel comes on and goes, no, 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 no. Um, yes, I understand the geopolitical tensions with Russia. I understand the general volatility in global currency markets, but he believes enough is enough that he thinks there's value to intellectual property. He says, I disagree with it completely that the Dow or SP 500 would be flat over the next 10 years, arguing there's great value in the current stock market prices. When you're talking about 16 times earnings, and even if they're clipped by a recession, he sees absolutely excellent values. Though he admitted anything can happen in the short term. Could he go down more? Of course. In bear markets, it has gone down more historically. In the short term, investor concerns are increasingly focused on the Federal Reserve, what they're doing with the interest rates as they continue to aim for lower inflation. The Fed is looking forward. Whereas you, the investor, is looking at the now. 
they have to look forward and they have to see what's going on in the housing market, in the rental market, in the commodities market. All this uncertainty ultimately represents a great opportunity for a long-term investor. Say 10 years from now, we're going to have the same Dow when the earnings yields that I see on the market show that your returns are going to probably be in the neighborhood of 6% per year after inflation. So Jeremy Siegel, yes, he is Wharton. Yes, he is a talking head. Yes, he is paid to have an opinion and go out and express it on channels like CNBC and Bloomberg. He says, we're down 25% from the peak. You're not starting at the peak. And at that peak, you're not starting at levels that are particularly overvalued. You're starting from a position, certainly not the cheapest that we've ever had, but certainly economic circumstances are not all negative. Given the low unemployment rate and the resilient consumer spending, he said, it's not wrong to say the current economic circumstances look nowhere near as dire as they did in 2009. He says, I see another 15% downside, and then I'm going to load up. And he's talking about other people. He's including them in his commentary. He's not calling out Ray Dalio by name or Stanley Drunkenmiller. But when he says a lot of these people, um, he sees a lot of short-term focus and then a long-term rally. His experience is when people get out and then it starts going down, they don't get back in until it's much, much higher. He said, try to, to set yourself up intelligently. It's getting back in. That's the hardest part. I got an email over the weekend from someone who's living on his 401k. And he's like, I don't know what to do. Um, if I pull it out now, I feel like I'm selling low. But he has to take required distributions. I'm like, okay. You're going to need to sit down with a CFP and come up with a nice, intelligent plan on what to sell your riskier stuff or your safer stuff. And that's going to take a plan, a conversation, not a gut feeling. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Kind of going over where we're at right now, setting you up for the week ahead. We'll take a break here. We'll come back. Don't forget, I got an event coming up in November. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Resources to help you manage your money. Visit robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Welcome in October 3rd, 2022. Means a new quarter. Means the end of a rotten quarter. Means let's see what we do in the fourth quarter that includes very important events like elections as well as holidays. A couple weeks of vacation for sure. Where are we going to be at? We're also going to get the Black Panther sequel and an Avatar sequel. Uh, 54% of a new report believe Republicans will take back the Senate. 65% said Elon Musk will not be forced to buy Twitter. Uh, What a mess that is, right? But he's going to have to pay a big breakup fee, is the assumption. In about 45 days, we're going to be start talking about the World Cup. Ole, ole, ole. Um, Not a lot of U.S. men national team soccer believers out there. It would be nice to see them have a run, but... 
I think that's as far as we go. Year to date, the Nasdaq's down 32%. The S&P 500's down 24%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down almost 21%. Ten-year Treasury has had just a big, big, bold move. Um, starting the year, it's um, a crazy run. We're at 3.82% now, up 2.3%. So we're at one and a half to start the year. That is a way different environment than we're in currently. Oil's up 6% for the year, sitting at $80 a barrel. The vibes on Wall Street are bearish. We're going to get midterm elections in Years following midterm elections, stocks have gone up every single time since 1942, increasing an average of 15%. Um, Would that be kind of a nice thing to have? Sure. Can we count on it? No. It's nice to look at history, though. If you dwell too much on history, though, I think you're doing yourself a disservice but it's good to look. Another thing that may be super important to you is the Supreme Court. They're beginning its new term today. This is a big deal. There's blockbuster cases on affirmative action, elections, religious rights. You can't ignore the huge cloud that's formed over the once revered institution, the Supreme Court, as far as popularity, as far as Americans who say they trust it, has plunged. Um, it's lowest level on record. There was an unprecedented leak of a draft decision overturning Roe versus Wade in the last session of court. Is that the right way of saying that? I think it is. Liberal Justice Elena Kagan said in reference to the three justices appointed by former President Trump, it just doesn't look like law when you know the new judges appointed by a new president come in and just start tossing the old stuff out. Chief Justice John Roberts said it was an unfortunate year for the court. <laughs> That's not exactly how you want to build your, um, keep your reputation high. And I don't know. I, I think I'm a little jaded too, right? Uh, there's the environmental regulation. First case of the term kicking off today represents a challenge to the Clean Water Act. There's going to be voting rights. Tomorrow, the court's going to hear arguments in a case on racial gerrymandering in Alabama. And there's going to be affirmative action, the legality of race-conscious admissions programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. That's going to be deliberated on October 31. That's going to have corporate giants like Meta, Apple, Google, Starbucks, um, all supporting the university side of the argument. So yeah, I do think Supreme Court does come to the stock market on a pretty regular basis. And I do think politics are part of it. It, it's the one thing that I look forward to getting out of in when I leave the industry is not following politics on a day-by-day basis. Um, I just want to be a like a grandfather <laughs> at some point. you know. I, I don't want to be trying to figure out who's going to win the hotly contested elections or can we trust the Supreme Court or not. I know you're saying you should care about that in good times and bad times. Credit Suisse said the reports on my death have been greatly exaggerated. Leaders at Swiss Bank Credit Suisse, they're trying to calm down investors today and clients after concerns mounted about its weak financial position. The stock has fallen to a record low and spreads on its credit default swaps despite 
what you don't want is your bank to have a run of confidence where people say, I don't really trust you anymore. So we're going to take our money out because that, that, that liquidity crushes a company. So we want Credit Suisse calm everyone down at this critical moment. And if need be, the European Central Bank needs to step in and make sure they have enough cash if there's any sort of run. Would that be a Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns type moment for the stock market? It would be. Would it be the end of the bear market? It would be one one step closer. Companies that have taken on too much risk when the economy slows or they don't adjust to inflation correctly or intelligently, it could be an issue. The economic recovery of Hurricane Ian is going to be extremely slow and downright impossible from for some Floridians. Um, I read a fantastic article about how home values in Florida are going to go down because flood insurance is going to keep going up. Um, it's a high-risk zone. Flood insurance is only required by lenders in high-risk zones. If you're living away from the coast, you might not get flood insurance because of soaring policy p- prices or out of a false belief that flooding is covered by their hurricane coverage. I'm stunned by how many people don't know what their insurance coverages are. I think I said this story a couple times last week, but in case you missed a show last week, um, watching the hurricane made me get on my phone and call my insurance company and ask questions. I hope you do the same kind of thing on occasion. Am I covered if my pool gets 10 inches of rain? And it starts overflowing and comes into my home. Well, generally speaking, pools aren't designed to flow into your home, right? Am I covered if the pool cracks and it creates a sinkhole? Am I covered if, and I was asking all sorts of ridiculous questions like that because I've never owned a pool. Hurricane Ian could result in $63 billion in insured losses. And that's the last thing Florida's insurance industry needs. State's property insurance market is already on the brink of collapse following a series of storms and remarkably high litigation rates. The share of homes with flood insurance declined over the last five years in Florida from 17.8% down to 15.4%. So you can kind of see the problems here, right? Um, but the coolest article, and I'll see if I can't find it for you. It was a piece of research, and um, I did not grab it, so I have to go find it again. Shouldn't be too hard, but um, the thought is that uh, home values could drop bigly because of flooding insurance, and you do have to factor that into the cost of you know doing business and the cost of owning a home. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Tesla shares are dipping today after third quarter production and deliveries report was a little below expectations, but it wasn't disastrous. I would like to see Tesla get beat up as a stock because Wall Street seems not to like any company that has a high valuation um, or a valuation that's, you have to say, oh, well, that looks like it's going to be fairly valued in about four years. Kind of want things a little bit closer than that in my what's working on Wall Street kind of mind. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube at Rob Black Show. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. If you've not done this, I highly recommend you learn a new term today. If you, this should sound slightly familiar to you, hopefully. Um, it's dividend aristocrats. 
companies with long histories of annual dividend growth, they offer some peace of mind when the markets get rough. When a firm manages to raise its dividend year after year through recession, through war, through market crashes, through hurricanes, through you name it, high inflation, low inflation, high oil, low oil, it makes a very powerful statement about the financial resilience of that company. Um, The S&P 500 dividend aristocrats is published every year. Here's a few tweaks. Um, AT&T was on that list for paying dividends. And I've owned AT&T in the past for the dividend. It was yielding 5 6%, and that was attractive um, as a way of generating income. It's not my kind of company, and they've divested DirecTV and Warner Media, So they're not the company that they used to be. You probably say AT&T's best days were the 1980s and 1990s. But can you find a good type of company that you feel comfortable with for the long term? You could probably find these ideas in what are known as dividend aristocrats. And if you Google dividend aristocrat, you will find some ideas that are, I think, not no-brainers, but attractive is probably the right way of saying it. And some of them you've never heard of, and it's fine. Some of them are short-term, not the way you want to go. Um, for instance, if we're in a higher interest rate environment, you may say, well, that's good for financial, so I'm going to look for a financial dividend aristocrat. If we're in an area where the consumer might get hit because of inflation, you may go, "Eh, I'm going to stay away from that list this year. But when you take a look at a company like a Church and Dwight, you can go back to the 1980s where it was a dollar stock. And then you go to the 90s where it was a $2.40 stock. And then you can go to 2000 and it's a $3 stock. And then you can jump into 2005 and it's a $10 $10 stock. You can hit the 2008, 2009 stock market that got really beat up, right? Um, and you can see how it, it held up in 2009. It was a $16 stock. And then in the last, what is that, 10 years now, roughly, it's gone from about $16 to $72. Yes, the all time high was made um, last year when stock markets were hitting all time highs on a regular basis. But Church and Dwight yields 1.4%. What is it? Do you know? I bring it up because it's it's like arm and hammer baking soda. It's OxyClean. It's water pick. Um, it's incredibly boring. Baking soda? Um, but they tend to up their dividend 3%, 4% every year. Uh, the quarterly payout. And I like that. Um, next era energy. Now that sounds like kind of a crazy one, right? Next era. Oh boy. What's that all about? Florida power and light. They're Florida's largest electric utility. They've had 27 years of increasing their dividends. I'm pretty sure that they're going to, um, raise rates again, right? When they have to fix up a, after a hurricane, yes, it's costly. But they're not going to be like, oh, we lost a lot of money. They're going to say, we need more money from our customers. 
It's a successful regulated utility with a faster growing renewable business in solar and wind. Population growth has been huge um, in Florida. And the focus on renewable energy generation could serve the company quite well. The company last raised its dividend last February 2022. I expect them to raise their dividend February 2023. 27 straight years. Caterpillar. I bought some Caterpillar this year. Um, Consult broker advisor for taking action on any stocks I ever mentioned. It's got 28 straight years of raising their dividend. And what they do is something that I can't do. It's They make heavy construction mining equipment. So it's paid a regular dividend without fail since 1933. It's lifted its payout every year for 28 straight years. Um, the best dividend stocks have ample free cash flow to cover the dividend. And Caterpillar checks that box. Now, you also don't want to go into this like ignorantly and not look at companies' debts. And like I said, there's going to be some instances where you go, you know, in low interest rate environment, I'm not going to go with a financial aristocrat um, unless the stock's way off. And then maybe that's your entry point. Uh, You may say, you know, with high oil, I'm going to stay away from uh, farming equipment because farmers won't, you know, want to get a John Deere tractor or uh, that doesn't even make sense because they need them, right? To stay in business. Um, Have you ever passed a 7-Eleven? This is not a dividend aristocrat, but the company that they lease their space from is. It's a company called Realty Income. It's a real estate investment trust that investors can rely on for steady income. It's raised its dividend in 28 straight years. Um, It's also got a a rare monthly dividend instead of quarterly dividend. They've got 6,700 commercial properties around the United States with 630 tenants, including Walgreens, 7-Eleven, FedEx, Dollar General, operating in 58 different industries. Companies delivered compound average annual dividend growth of 4.3% since 1994. Ticker symbol on that one is O. And if you take a look at it, consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on the show. But again, I think you're going to like the long-term track record of a company that does nicely for its shareholders. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Later today, I'll be putting an update on YouTube Rob Black Show on my new market commentary with EP Wealth, Director of Portfolio Strategy. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.